calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Ann Foster, and this is season four, and our theme is Women Trapped in Towers and the Assholes Who Put Them There. And this is episode six. This is episode six, and this is another non-Margaret episode, and in fact, it is an episode about a person with a very unusual name for then or for now. We are talking about Lady Arbella Stewart. And so let's get into it. There are some connections in this episode to previous, a couple of people we talked about in previous episodes. So I hope the family tree stuff isn't as convoluted and confusing as it sometimes is. So Lady Arbella Stewart was born in 1575. Guess what? No date known. Can't do her astrological chart. She was the only child of two people whose names were Elizabeth Cavendish and Charles Stewart. Who were these people? Well, Charles Stewart was the son of Margaret Douglas, the younger brother of Darnley. And Elizabeth Cavendish was the daughter of a very wealthy and influential woman named Bess of Hardwick. So because of the Margaret Douglas connection... Arbella was the niece of Mary, Queen of Scots. She was the first cousin to King James I slash sixth. Her great-grandmother was Margaret Tudor, making Henry VIII her great-grand-uncle. So what all this means is she was tangentially in line to the throne of being the monarch of all of England. And as you know, it was just constant... Uh, succession crises there so this as we've learned through the gray sisters for instance uh was very important and affected her life profoundly and i think we all know that england has only had a handful of reigning queens and i think no matter your knowledge of the names of english monarchs i think we all know there was never a queen 
Arbella. It was like in that other episode where we were where we were talking about Ferdinando. It's like, hmm, pretty sure there was never a English king named King Ferdinando. Like anyone with a cool name who seems like they may be gonna become king just like does not happen. Anyway, and speaking of the name, Arbella. So why? I asked on Twitter a few weeks ago in a country filled with Mary's and Elizabeth's and Catherine's did was she given the name Arbella and it's not Arabella like it's just Arbella A-R-B-E-L-L-A so I asked on Twitter I was just because I was researching and trying to figure it out and I couldn't figure it out and I was just like maybe one of my friends on Twitter knows the answer and in fact a woman responded, who is Sarah Gristwood, who is the author of Arbella, England's Lost Queen, which is a biography of Arbella. That is one of my major references for this. Oh, I forgot to see my other references. So for sure, the book Arbella, England's Lost Queen by Sarah Gristwood, now my Twitter friend, an article on the freelance history writer called The Daring Escape of Arbella Stewart that was written by Susan Abernathy. I also read up about Arbella on EnglishMonarchs.co.uk, and the National Trust recently-ish, potentially still, not sure with COVID what's going on, uh, they did an exhibition in the UK called We Are Bess, which is all about Bess of Hardwick, which is our, one of Arbella's grandmothers, and they had a page there talking about Arbella Stewart as well. And then there's a website called All Things Robert Dudley where Christine Hardwig wrote an article. And you'll see what Robert Dudley has to do with stuff in a little bit. So, okay, so Sarah Gristwood explained that Arbella was named Arbella, likely as a reference to her Scottish slash Stuart heritage from her father's side. So that's the Margaret Douglas side. As that name had featured among queens in Scottish history, and like, has it? I don't know a lot about Scottish history, but I truly don't recall seeing anyone named Arbella before. But it's that sort of old-timey thing in the English language where people whose name was Anne was sometimes called Agnes and vowels were like suggestions. Like, you just kind of, people have a name and you just kind of, every time you write it, you just sort of guess how it's spelled. Like how there's all the spellings of Catherine, for instance, like of the same person. So... Arbella is perhaps a derivation of Annabella or Amabel, which were also royal, royal Scottish baby names. So the name means prayerful, like full of prayer, and is a Greek name. So maybe her parents were fans of reading the classics. But most likely, it's that this was a name that, kind of this name, but spelled differently, was a name of some queens in Scottish history and her parents and more likely her grandmothers had royal aspirations for this little baby girl. And also in one letter, her grandmother Bess writes her name is Arbell, A-R-B-E-L-L. So I don't know what, how you said her name, but we're just going to say Arbella because that is how it's spelled. So childhood. One year after she was born, Arbella's father, Charles Douglas, died of, I think, disease. I would have written it down if it was assassination or anything not disease-related. So his title was the Earl of Lennox. And so as his only child, Arbella, one might think, would have inherited the Lennox lands in Scotland. But at this point, the Scottish king, like the King of Scots, was her cousin, King James, 
who is a baby at this point. So she and King James, so Arbella was 12 months old. King James was 10 10 years old. So they're both little kids and they're cousins and he's the king. Um, And so rather than Arbella inheriting the Lennox lands, James's regency government moved quickly to seize the lands, reasoning that since James was 10 years old, he could not permanently grant the title. And anyway, Arbella was English by birth and therefore her claim on the title was invalid. Arbella was also, I don't even know what, second cousins or something to Queen Elizabeth. Um, Queen Elizabeth wrote to the Scottish regent asking on Arbella's behalf, asking for Arbella to be given her inheritance, but nothing came of it. I'm guessing she did that because Bess of Hardwick uh, was friends with Elizabeth and maybe suggested she do that. Over the years, Arbella frequently referred to her lost lands, but she was never formally granted the title Countess of Lennox. Despite this, uh, when Bess of Hardwick had a portrait of Arbella painted as a two-year-old, the title Countess of Lennox is prominent in the picture. This picture is actually really great. I'll put it in when I post this on Instagram. Um, Toddler Arbella looks really shady. Like she's just world weary. And I don't know, it's just like a toddler with a lot of emotion in her face. When Arbella was three years old, her paternal grandmother, Margaret Douglas, died. R.I.P. previous episode. Arbella should have inherited Margaret's jewels, including a jewel set with a diamond, a ruby, and an emerald with a great pearl. However, the steward, like Margaret Douglas's servant, who should have handed the jewels over to Arbella instead, fled to Scotland with the jewels and gave them to King James. So the lack of income for Arbella was something that plagued her throughout her life. Stuff she should have inherited, she did not because people were dirt bags. Let's see. Uh, so then her father was dead. So Arbella lived with her mother until she was six years old, at which point her mother then also died tragically of disease. So normally rich England orphans were under the control of William Cecil, Elizabeth, the queen's spy master, who was the master of wards. And I have to say when I first read that and for quite a while i thought it said the master of wands which sounds cooler anyway he was the guy who got to decide who would take on which wards but prior to elizabeth the queen's death Bess had asked for special permission oh sorry no no but prior to the death of arbella's mom Bess of Hardwick had asked for special permission for her, Bess, and her husband, George, to take guardianship of Arbella, and that was granted. So, when Arbella's mom died, she went to live with her grandmother and step-grandfather at their home, Shrewsbury Hall. So, Bess of Hardwick. Again, I'm going to do an episode about her. She was just, I forget how much I've said about her before, but she was a woman who just kept getting married and then each husband was a bit more powerful than last and eventually she was like i think she was the most wealthy woman in england who was not the queen she did a lot of home renovations Bess of hardwick made hardwick hall more glass than wall so and Bess of hardwick just like really was excited for her granddaughter to become the queen maybe one day so she gave her granddaughter an education fit for a princess and Arbella was a good pupil. 
She became fluent in Latin, Greek, French, Italian, and Spanish, which is like really impressive. She learned philosophy and she was an accomplished musician. Bess raised Arbella under the belief that her that she was destined to become the next queen of England. Arbella was treated like royalty by Bess's servants who were instructed to address her as your highness. Growing up, Arbella spent some time with her aunt, Mary Queen of Scots, who at this point in her life was under house arrest and was made forced to live with Bess and George. Mary, Queen of Scots, who had been separated from her son, who is King James, for while well, he was still a baby and she hadn't seen him in whatever, however many years, she spent a great deal of time with Arbella and became extremely fond of her. And that's a cute little thing. But then when Mary Queen of Scots discovered that Bess was planning for Arbella to become the next queen, and to do that meant that they had to discredit Mary, which would discredit Mary's son, James, the relationship between Arbella and Mary was soured, I guess, permanently. When Arbella was around nine years old, Mary Queen of Scots, who, while she was in house arrest with Bess of Hardwick, was really busy doing a lot of sort of sneaking around and spying. And that's part of what uh, Alison Epstein's book, A Tip for the Hangman, talks about. You should read it. So Mary Queen of Scots sent a letter to the French ambassador claiming that Bess was trying to arrange a marriage between Arbella and the son of Latisse Knowles and Robert Dudley, whose name was also Robert Dudley. Because in that story, everybody was called Robert. So he was three years old at this time. So Robert Dudley Jr. is three. Arbella is nine. This would have been an advantageous match for Arbella because of Latisse's connection to the Boleyn family. Uh, it would have been a good marriage, but of course, you know, people can't just marry who they want back in these stories. But, and also, in addition, Mary Queen of Scots was busy trying to make Robert Dudley look terrible because she was doing her own schemes that relied on him looking terrible. So she might have just made this up to try and make him look bad. Not sure. Anything is possible. But nothing came of this because Robert Dudley Jr. died one year later, aged four. So this whole negotiation led to no child marriage. When Arbella was about 12 years old, her aunt, Mary Queen of Scots, was sentenced to death for continued scheming reasons and was executed. At around the same time, Arbella visited Elizabeth's royal court in London in the summertime. Elizabeth was so impressed with Arbella that she spoke openly about Arbella one day being queen, which seems major, but Elizabeth talked a lot about a lot of people one day being king or queen because she didn't want anyone to know who her heir was for her own Elizabethy reasons. But because of Arbella's status as, I don't even know how, what, where she is in the line of succession, but there's the whole Elizabeth isn't having kids thing. So then you're looking at like, who will it be? The Grey sisters? Maybe Arbella. So there were, it was very important to figure out who to marry her to to make her be like not too powerful but also like okay powerful in case she ended up being queen so for instance when she was 13 her cousin james still just king of scotland not of england yet suggested that arbella marry their cousin so they were cousins and a third cousin whose name is lukovic stewart the stewarts were just like naming people not edward and i appreciate it this match did not pan out. Other potential matches included Alexander Farnese, the Duke of Parma, who could claim the English throne as the descendant of John of Gaunt. 
Um, this idea was to secure toleration for English Catholics or even win Arbella for the Catholic faith. Um, however, the eldest son... So of this family... Oh, right. Sorry. So the Amatches were the sons of Alexander Farnese, not Alexander Farnese himself. He's a Duke of Parma. His sons. His older son was Ranuccio. Ranuccio was already married. And the younger son, Orla Odordo, was a cardinal. And so wasn't allowed to get married. The Pope apparently was prepared to uh, let Odardo stop being a cardinal so he could get married, but Queen Elizabeth I was like, no mas. And so that marriage plan was ended before Arbella could even be approached. So starting in around 1589, when Arbella was 13, someone called Morley attended on her and read to her in like a tutor type way, as per a letter that Bess of Hardwick wrote. Bess wrote in her letter about Morley's service to Arbella over the space of three years and a half. Uh, she was also saying how much money she had paid for his services and that sort of thing. This has led to speculation that Morley was potentially the poet Christopher Marlowe, whose name was sometimes spelled that way because of the whole thing where tutors just made up spellings every time they spelled a word or a name. Christopher Marlowe was also a spy. So was he there spying on them, potentially? Arbella's name was, yeah, still in the mix as potential heir to Elizabeth I until 1592, because in 1592, a few things happened. First, Elizabeth got to hang out at Elizabeth's royal court for around nine months. At this point, Elizabeth was 59 and Arbella was 17. At the end of this visit, it seemed that Elizabeth had decided that James would be her heir instead of Arbella. This was decided on the advice of William Cecil and his son, Robert Cecil, who were both, they both just preferred James because he was, I assume, a man and also a king and also like, and also like, who the fuck is Arbella, basically? Like, if you have to explain, like, here's who the new, new king is, England, if you're like, it's this random young socialite or it's like this guy who is Mary Queen of Scots' son and is like already a king... It, I kind of see where they're coming from a bit. So after this point, Arbella was invited occasionally to visit Elizabeth, but mostly stayed off living with her grandparents. And she clearly felt increasingly isolated because she's hot young teen and not being allowed to do anything. It's, it's a bit of a Rapunzel scenario. When Arbella was 22... Her grandmother's home, Hardwick Hall, more glass than wall, was completed, and that's where she would now live, slash be imprisoned, because Bess was not letting her do anything or go anywhere. So she was often talked about as a suitable bride for many royal princes across Europe because of her pedigree. Arbella never even got close to marriage. In her eyes, marriage seemed to mean just getting out of this house away from her grandparents like living her own life she just wanted she wanted to stop living with her grandparents and be allowed to do things in desperation she began to plot her own marriage a dangerous thing to do so like and if you're like in terms of her desperation like she's 27 so she's 27 years old still not married which is i know we always talk about like she got married when she was six or whatever but like 27 was an age at which most 
eligible young women tended to get themselves married so the fact that she wasn't and she clearly wanted to be and she was trapped living with her grandparents she was unhappy um rumors of an affair at this point became so strong that elizabeth they caught the attention of elizabeth who sent a trusted courtier sir henry bronker to interrogate arbella and bess of hardwick to see like what was going on the rumors were that she intended to marry edward seymour now, I had to like go back and forth on this family tree to figure out what was going on. So Edward Seymour. This Edward was the grandson of Edward Ned Seymour, who had married Catherine Gray in the other side of this family tree. So first I was like, wait, is this the same guy? It's the same romance in both of them, but that was like years apart. Like, So Edward was a grandson of Catherine Gray, who was related to Arbella in some way. And Arbella, Arbella was a big fan of Catherine Gray. She liked reading about it. She liked hearing about her. She, she found in Catherine Gray and the whole way that Catherine Gray ran off to get secret sexy married and then like was in jail and then like died. Like Arbella was a stan for Catherine Gray. And so <laughs> I guess she's like, oh my God, there's someone named Edward Seymour who I can also like illegally fall in love with. Amazing. So identically to the Catherine Gray scenario, if Arbella married this Edward Seymour, their combined royalty would make their children potential heirs, which made them threats. Because again, it's combining, this would be going through the, it would be combining two different sides of Tudor people. But the original, the OG Edward Seymour, Catherine Gray's widower, still alive, found out about this, what his grandson was doing, and was just like, like history is repeating and this is a bad idea so he reported it og edward seymour reported this to queen elizabeth and that's how elizabeth found out so when arbella was questioned she denied having any intention of marrying without the queen's permission bess asked the queen for her granddaughter to be placed elsewhere to learn to be more considerate or to let her get married to somebody so bess wanted her out of there too like they were both there stuck together and neither of them wanted it this is like a I don't know. It's not like quite a gray garden scenario. And it's not quite a what happened to baby Jane scenario, but it's like bordering on that sort of thing. But Elizabeth wanted Arbella to remain at Hardwick Hall where her actions could be monitored in case she tried to run off and get married again. Bess said, well, I can't guarantee Arbella's behavior because she's Arbella's going to Arbella. And the situation between Arbella and her grandmother became so fraught. So Arbella went on hunger strike slash um, mental stopping eating situation until she was removed from Hardwick. So the unhappy Arbella wrote many incoherent letters to the queen or the queen's agent. I don't know if that's William Cecil. And it was concluded that she was insane. It has been theorized that she was suffering from an attack of porphyria which is a genetic disease that a bunch of people in the British and other European royal families had because of inbreeding. So this is the same disease that George III had, the madness of George III. It causes episodes of madness, verbal incontinence, and wine-colored urine. Some people suspect the Mary Queen of Scots, who was sick a lot, might have had it. Potentially, James might have also had bouts of this disease. But also, I feel like Arbella is just, like, needs some um talk therapy maybe some 
anxiety and or depression medication and just to like get out of this situation that she has no control over that she doesn't want to be in that is shades of like an Isabel of Portugal situation where you're like is she insane like maybe but like can we kind of see why that happened yeah we kind of can so Bess was asked to prevent these letters so she's asked to stop Arbella from mailing off these in quote insane letters so this led to angry scenes between the two women as the relationship continued to deteriorate. I feel like it's already deteriorated to the max amount, but apparently it could deteriorate further. Eventually, the situation was so unbearable for both of them. Elizabeth eventually sent Arbella to the house of the Earl of Kent in Bedfordshire. Shortly after this, Queen Elizabeth died. And as was suspected, Arbella's cousin James became the new King of England. In May... Arbella was invited to London to meet her Scottish cousin for the first time in person. And she was invited again in July when James's wife, Anne of Denmark, arrived from Scotland. At which point Arbella was given the honor of being the train bearer to the queen when she attended chapel. So she was, I don't know how insane she was, but she was able to do these important jobs in public. So she won some more points towards these new friendships in 1603, when she was approached by Walter Raleigh and other courtiers to overthrow James and have herself, Arbella, made the new queen. She was, in, like, literally, she was invited by them to sign on. Like, they were like, can you please sign this letter to the king of Spain being like, I'm Arbella and I approve this message. I am happy to take over being queen. Arbella, in fact, did not sign the letter and thus did not get in trouble when the other plotters were discovered, and I think executed. James later appointed Arbella as state governor, which I guess is kind of like governess, I think, in this context, to his eldest daughter, Princess Elizabeth. And in 1605, Arbella was named godmother to Princess Mary, which was another of his daughters. Arbella seems so again I'm just like was she insane like maybe she was having a period of like writing insane letters like there wasn't emails or texts then and whomst among us has not sent some regrettable messages or tweets anyway it seems like Arbella's doing good mentally speaking so she continued on hanging out at royal court and she was doing okay and I think she was like yay I get to interact with people who are not my grandmother and be living kind of my own life this is cool so she apparently found the tone and morality of this royal court to be quote ridiculous and wicked which it was because james was a character so arbella in fact became good friends with anne of denmark the queen and Arbella also grew very fond of James and Anne's son, Prince Henry. So she's just like the cool auntie hanging out with a fam. Kind of like Mary Queen of Scots was with her. And then Arbella, age 29, Sigismund Vasa, the king of Poland, sent an ambassador to England to ask for Arbella to be his wife. The offer was rejected because James like his predecessor Elizabeth, just did not want Arbella to marry anybody because they thought that would make her too powerful because of her place in the line of succession. And then years passed. Arbella continues to be unhappy. So clearly she was just like, she was not in jail, 
But she was effectively trapped in that she couldn't do what she wanted to do. So I seems like clearly she was inspired by her life icon and role model and distant ancestor, Catherine Gray, to just like take life tits out and like just do it her own way. So she's by now she is 35, 1610. She's still unmarried and plans were discovered that she had been planning to secretly sexy marry another Seymour boy. This one was William Seymour, then known as Lord Beecham. He was 13 years younger than her and sixth in line to inherit from James because he was also the grandson of Catherine Gray. So you remember when Catherine Gray was in jail and then she had the two babies in jail? Like those kids sons so this guy is the son of one of the babies who was born in jail so literally like Catherine gray all over again the king was like wait is Arbella trying to seize power with this fucking seymour boy like what's with this people just love the seymour boys people of the seymour boys ladies love the howard boys like just these groups of dudes so Arbella was like i will live out my Catherine gray fantasy romance life this whole situation like, she would not back down. She was 35 and just, like, cosplaying being Catherine Gray. This was the final straw. You would have thought there had already been a final straw for Arbella's relationship with her grandma, Bess. But, no, this was a final straw and made Bess cut Arbella out of her will, even though... Oh, sorry. Arbella clearly was pursuing this, but officially she was saying, like, Oh, no, I would never marry without permission is what she was saying out loud. So now she's cut out of the will. She doesn't have the inheritance to begin with anyway. And then Bess of Hardwick died, aged 80, in February 1608. Months later, uh, that June, Arbella and William got a secret sexy marriage. They were married June 22nd at Greenwich Palace. This was discovered. James saw this marriage as a threat, which it was, but like just like Catherine Gray, it kind of wasn't. It was kind of just two people who wanted to get married, although I don't know enough about William to say, from his point of view, maybe a threat. So the two of them were imprisoned, just like her life icon, Catherine Gray. But ever since the Catherine Gray scenario, people knew, like, don't put people in the same building when we just arrested them for secretly marrying each other because they might have babies. So Arbella was put in Sir Thomas Perry's house in Lambeth, William Seymour was put in the Tower of London. Fun fact, William's imprisonment made him the fourth consecutive generation of Seymour men to spend time in this prison. So, you, you know, there's going to be the Seymour family reserved suite at that point. Security in the Tower at the time was not the best, slash bribery probably involved. And William succeeded in leaving his confinement to visit Arbella. And the couple exchanged letters, some of which still exist. The king found out, and he ordered Arbella to be transferred to the custody of William James, the Bishop of Durham, which I guess is further away, harder for William to get to. Arbella, who, at this point, in terms of, like, resiliency, like, she was not at her best in a crisis, clearly. So she was really upset by this. The Bishop of Durham arrived to pick her up um, to find her in a panic. She was pale and swooning, and she begged the Bishop to postpone her departure for one more day. The Bishop was like, no, because the King told me I had to do this. Uh, he spoke gently to her and managed to calm her down using mental health first aid techniques, clearly. 
she finally agreed to start the journey and they agreed that they, they could stop. The first stop would be in a place called Burnett. Arbella, so here's the thing. Was she just high strung and fragile and like having mental health issues exacerbated by her life situation? Probably. But also, was she up to a scheme? I think so. So she became frighteningly ill during this journey. So she was carried in a litter, which is like one of those like the things where the fancy lady sits in it and like four men carry it with sticks. So she was carried to Highgate and given chambers in the home of Sir William Bond and his wife. Along the way, she fainted three times and was given restoratives, which I smelling salts. I don't know what that would have been leeches, whatever. So she was lifted unconscious from her litter and taken to bed where she lay unconscious for some time and then finally fell asleep. And I feel like, how do you notice when she changed from unconscious to asleep? But anyway, the bishop came to her bedside in the morning and reminded her like, Arbella, we need to like travel to my house for you to be imprisoned. She protested that she couldn't even take one step. And a doctor came in and was like, that is true. She cannot take one step because of her like female illness problems um the bishop wrote to the king's council for instructions and arbella was granted a few days rest so okay there is some evidence that william visited arbella and may have spent the night with her while she was there and this is part of why i feel like she was obviously upset but might have been exaggerating what was going on with her because she and William maybe had plans that she didn't want to upset. So on the 21st, she was supposed to get back on her journey, but she would not leave. The king ordered her to be taken by force. So the bishop had her lifted onto her litter. I just feel like, does Arbella not walk anymore? Okay. She was in tears and complained of pains in her head. She traveled a short distance to Barnet, which was supposed to be the first stop to begin with, but she was so ill they had to stop many times while her doctor administered cordials. Cordials. I don't... That just makes me think Anne of Green Gables. What is it? The raspberry cordial? I don't know. I'm going to guess that's like liquid medicines. Once in Barnet, Arbella was unable to go any further, and the bishop again wrote to the council for more instructions. Like, this is where you're like, it sucks there's not phones, because... Like, you have to write the letter, send off a guy on a horse to take it? Like, he's just like, Arbella won't move. What should I do? Like, send the letter. The letter comes back from that guy. Like, the next day, like, you can't make any quick decisions. Arbella sent her own letter saying if she was forced to travel further, it would kill her. So, under pressure from all sides, the council gave her a month's rest, beginning March 25th. The bishop was allowed to return to Durham. I'm sure he just, like, went home, had a nice drink of ale, and so she was put in the custody of a person named Sir James Croft. Croft believed Arbella was faking her illness and ordered an outside doctor to examine her. This doctor reported to the council he found her feeble, which was a medical term then, I guess, with a dull pulse, her countenance heavy, pale, and wan, and she was in a dreadful, melancholy state. Which, again, is this... I think there's some existing physical things happening to her but also i think she was um took advantage either of exaggerating her symptoms or just she had symptoms and was like i'm gonna use this for my benefit anyway such drama so they found new lodgings for her so she could go on her like mandated rest 
So apparently, let's see. So James Croft, her new, um, what's it called? The uh, uh, parole officer or whatever. Croft reported that Arbella was immobile, unable to even walk the length of her room. Which this is where it's like, does she have porphyria? Because it seems like something serious is happening to her that may or may not be psychosomatic. On April 28th, she was still ill and was granted more time to rest. In the meantime, this is where the scheminess comes. This is where I hope you don't think I'm being disrespectful to her having health concerns. But she was either faking health concerns and scheming or had health concerns and was also scheming. But like, she's also scheming. So she's not this poor maiden. Anyway, so she's granted more time to rest. In which time, she communicated with William and her aunt... Mary Talbot, the Countess of Shrewsbury, that it was her intention to escape. She had until June 11th to come up with a plan. Her aunt, Mary, worked tirelessly for Arbella. So there's, I like that there's a lot of cool aunts in this story. Even though Arbella's servants had been dismissed, she was still allowed to see her administrator, Compton, and her maid, Anne Bradshaw. So during this like rest-slash-scheming time, Arbella gained her health and strength, but managed to keep the doctors believing that she was still so sick she couldn't do anything. Her Aunt Mary managed to amass 1,400 pounds for Arbella, which she gave to Compton, along with a package of men's clothing. Compton also gathered another 1,400 pounds, and Arbella had some jewels she added to the money. At the end of May, Arbella proclaimed herself sufficiently recovered, and set June 5th as the day for her departure. The day before, on June 4th, she told her maid she wanted to visit William, who was hiding nearby, and bid him farewell. The maid helped her into her disguise and promised to let no one enter her chamber until she returned. Arbella wore a pair of French-fashioned hose, which are pants, trousers, or is it tablet and hose? Anyway, basically she put on man clothes. She put on French fashion hose over her petticoats, put on a men's doublet, a man-like peruke, which is, I guess, a hat, with long locks over her hair, like a wig, a black hat, a black coal, black cloak, russet boots with red tops, and a rapier by her side. I feel like this is a bit of an ostentatious outfit, but maybe in this era, it was just that's how dudes dressed. She put her money and jewels in a pouch and walked quietly out of the house in broad daylight, along with her servant, Markham. Love this for her love this cross-dressing moment. Arbella and Markham headed towards Blackwell, where Compton was waiting with saddle horses. Arbella had been, if you will recall, not walking any further than the length of her room for several months. So she had had not much exercise during her illness period, and she struggled to make her way because riding a horse is really physically demanding. It was only a mile and a half, but by the time they arrived, Arbella was so sick and faint uh, that... Um, one of the people who saw her remarked, it seemed unlikely this gentleman could ever make it to London on a horse. Nevertheless, once Arbella was on the horse, she regained her vigor and rode all the way to a river in at Blackwell. They arrived at six o'clock and Arbella was taken fainting from her horse. So here, okay, so like clearly she has some, um, physical ailments, but also scheming and good for her. William was supposed to meet them at this inn, but there's no sign of him. 
but her maid Anne Bradshaw was there along with all of Arbella's and William's baggage. A French ship captain named Corvée had been hired to wait along the road to take them by boat down the river to Lee. The party waited at the, t at the tavern for an hour and a half. Arbella changed out of her extremely extra outfit and put on a dark cloak and hood. The men who she was with insisted they leave as it was getting dark and it would be more difficult to hire someone to take them up the river. Arbella begged for another half hour, which they agreed. And then at eight o'clock, with tears and hesitation, Arbella agreed to go. The sun had set as the boats pulled away from shore, but there's still one more hour of daylight. After bribing some unenthusiastic rowers to complete the trip, the party arrived at Lee at four in the morning. Corvée's ship lay about eight miles beyond Compton, had no way of knowing if the ship was still waiting for them because they had waited so long because William wasn't there. Um, let's see. Compton, they spotted a ship nearby and asked the captain, John Bright, to take them to Calais, which is France, offering him a huge sum of money. Bright said that he couldn't because he had orders to go somewhere else. Compton asked if there was any other French ships nearby, and Bright said yes. He'd noticed a strange ship a few miles off. So then they went on. And then, sure enough, they found Corvée, the French captain who they had agreed to sail them. Arbella hoped that William was already on board, but he was not. So, but these people all acted so weird that John Bright, the person they'd asked, like, hey, can you sail us? Um, he was just curious what was going on. So he followed them through his, like, oldie time binoculars and watched as they boarded the French ship. And we know this because later his testimony was taken and he described what the people looked like. He said, well, he described a woman closely covered with a black hood over her head and face. And he noticed that she had on white clothing. And when she pulled off one of her gloves, she had a very white and clean hand. So this white hand was just, it became her ruination because it's clearly like, oh, she was like someone who has not done stuff with her hands. She must be a rich person. What's she doing here? And here's the thing. And the story of Mary Queen of Scots, which is a lengthy story that has a lot of escapes and things in it. There's one part where Mary Queen of Scots disguises herself as a washerwoman, but then someone notices her hand is so white and they're like, that's not a washerwoman, that's Mary Queen of Scots. So it's just like, I don't know, history repeating again. So she's on the ship and she still insists on waiting for William because the whole point here is running off with her husband. But eventually, um, the... Compton and Corvée stopped listening to her and they just were like, we have to go. So they went. The wind was not favorable, meaning that crossing the English Channel would be even longer than usual, but they set off with Arbella to go to France. Meanwhile, William had a servant named Rodney who had made all the preparations for moving William's stuff and getting him out of the Tower of London, which William seemingly had just been like doing with no problems for quite a while. Um, let's see. So Rodney had been staying with William's younger brother, Francis, but didn't tell him about it because he thought Francis might inform the grandfather about William's escape. The grandfather, again, being OG Ned Seymour, I believe, who would just be like, stop fucking marrying redheaded Tudor women. It doesn't go well. So Rodney wrote a letter explaining in cryptic terms what was happening and arranged to have his letter delivered to his brother Francis on the day after the escape when he believed they would be beyond pursuit. Rodney. Got a disguise for William. I'm loving these disguise moments in this story. William's disguise was a Carter's frock and whip, a wig and beard of heavy dark hair. 
So, but here's the problem. William had a, so two days before the day he was supposed to escape, William laid in bed complaining of a toothache. Oh, maybe it was fake. Wait, let me see. He was also faking illness. On the day of the escape, a carter drove up with a load of wood where he stopped and went in to speak with the officials of the tower. Oh, I see. Okay, so William, I think, was faking the toothache. William got out from his bed and told his valet that he had a chance to meet with Arbella and convinced his valet to keep anyone out of the room until he came back by saying he was too ill and must not be disturbed because of toothache. So he put on his beard and disguise. And as soon as the carter returned to his cart, William boldly walked out and followed him through. I love this, like, putting on a disguise and just, like, in daylight hours, just, like, peacing out. Like, these are some great escapes. So William met Rodney, who was waiting for him with a horse. Um, oddly, it was 8 o'clock when this happened, the same time Arbella was leaving Blackwell. So clearly, there had been some sort of obvious misunderstanding between the two of them about what time they were supposed to meet each other at the inn. Uh, let's see. William threw off his disguise and rode off on his horse. Once there, he realized... Oh, wait. So he went to the inn, realized, like, oh, my God, Arbella's already left. So then he took a boat to Lee, where she had been also... Um, he paid somebody to take him to Calais. So they, they got to France, but they didn't find Arbella. So they went to Bruges, sending a messenger along the coast to find Arbella and let her know, like, we're in Bruges. That's where you can find us. But the next day, Francis Seymour, William's brother, read the letter from Rodney and realized what William had done. Francis, just like Rodney knew he would, Francis kind of sucks, went to the tower to verify William was gone. The lieutenant of the tower entered William's room and they found that he was not there. So they went and informed the king that this had happened. King James went into a panic because that is a familial trait among the Stuarts. I'm not having a cool head in a crisis. He issued a proclamation declaring that Arbella and William was not to be assisted by anyone or any country. Several people, including cool Aunt Mary, were arrested and were questioned about what they did. So here's the thing. Rodney sucks. Rodney should not have written this letter. Like, the white hand combined with Rodney. That's where this all went wrong. Damn it, Rodney. So then, um, people from the Royal Council assigned some guys to go and chase them down. So this is where they discovered about the guy who had seen the weird party with a woman with a white hand who went to Calais. Um, so then a royal ship went to follow the French vessel being sailed by Corvée. Um, they chased Arbella's boat, which was lingering, awaiting the arrival of William because there's no phones and they couldn't tell each other what they were doing. Corvée tried to make a run for it, but there was no wind, and it was oldie times, and boats didn't have engines, so the boat was overtaken. Thirteen shots were fired straight into the air, and they had to give up. Arbella came forward and surrendered herself, becoming a prisoner of the king. When asked where her husband was, Arbella replied she didn't know, but she trusted he was safe, and that his escape was consolation for her own capture and misfortune. And then Arbella was returned to England and imprisoned in the Tower of London, where her husband had just escaped from. Although she argued she had only sought freedom to live with her husband, she is kept in close confinement in the tower, although she was never actually charged with a crime. It's just, she's just such an inconvenient person to so many people, and that's what sucks. They just kind of wanted to keep her out of the way, and she went insane. So her health deteriorated, like, further. 
but she still had hopes that her cousin James would take pity and release her. She even ordered new dresses for the marriage of Princess Elizabeth in 1613, I guess hoping she could attend the wedding. She did not. In 1614, she fell ill. Some suspected she was faking for sympathy or as part of a plot to escape. I think all three, like she was sick, but also she hoped to use it to her advantage. She refused food and she refused medical care and her health got worse, as happens when you don't have food. She spoke of her hopes that William would come and rescue her and then she died of starvation. Um, on September 25th, she was only 39 years old. James refused to give her Bella, James, petty bitch, refused to give her Bella a royal funeral and her body was placed without ceremony in the vault of her aunt, her cool aunt, Mary Queen of Scots, in Westminster Abbey. William remained on the continent for a few years before requesting permission to return to England, which he was granted. Two years after Arabella's death, he married Lady Frances Devereux, the daughter of Robert Devereux, the granddaughter of Latisse Knowles, and they had eight children. He, William, became a valued member of royal court and did totally fine for himself, which is such bullshit. So, over 100 letters written by Herbella, by Herbella have survived. In 1993, a collection of them was published, edited by Sarah Jane Steen, providing details of her activities and ideas. This is a lot of why we know what she thought and how, like how she was such a stand for Catherine Gray. Sarah Jane Steen also says that the, there's a Shakespeare connection. So there's a play written by Shakespeare called Cymbeline, which is written around the same time as Arbella's cross-dressing attempted escape, which has sometimes been read as a reference to Arbella because the heroine in that is called Imogen and she does cross-dressing and is virtuous. And then in 2005, Sarah Gristwood published Arbella, England's Lost Queen. There's been not as much written about her as there are about other Tudor people and I think She's definitely somebody worth knowing about. That's Arbella Stewart. Quite the saga. I just feel so bad in a similar way as like Mary Gray, Catherine Gray, where it's just like someone who just wants to like be an independent-ish person, like just wants to marry someone and then ends up in jail forever. It's just, I wish Arbella got to do more stuff. So we're going to give her a score here. Scandaliciousness, I feel, is very, the stuff she did was the scandalicious, like the, um, like the cross-dressing escape, hiring the ship was like, she didn't do a lot of scandalicious things, but the thing she did was of such high quality scandaliciousness. I'm going to give her seven, I think. Her scheminess, again, there was... It wasn't like a lifetime of numerous schemes, but she, well, maybe there was, we still know about them. But when she had a scheme, it was like, she got the outfit, she got the people helping her, like she got the ship hired, like her scheminess was, she had some plans, like the plans she had were seemingly pretty well thought out, except for a couple of small details and goddamn Rodney. I'm going to give her a seven for scheminess as well. Her significance, it's the sort of thing where like, well, she was very significant to Elizabeth and James such that they didn't want her to marry anybody because then she would become too significant. So her significance kind of is what made her a threat. But like her significance 
to the annals of history. Like if she inspired Shakespeare, cool, but like her letters were published. But I don't know if the trajectory of world history was changed by actions that she was involved in, which isn't her fault. It's just that's what this category is for. Um, I'm going to give her four for significance. Sexism bonus is 10. And I would give her more than that if I could, because just all of it, just all of it, just, and sexism doesn't mean just like men treated her badly or whatever. It means like the way that Bess of Hardwick treated her was shitty. And a lot of it was everybody saw her as a threat because of who she might marry, because then she might have children, which is all just rooted in a patriarchal worldview. So that's, let's see, that's a 28, which is, I think, the same as Margaret Douglas, her grandmother, and also the same as Latisse Knowles, who she's related to in some capacity, I think, right? I just want to see where Catherine Gray was a 29. So Arbella, 28, Catherine Gray, 29, and that's because she had like jail babies and also her children went on to do stuff. But I, I think Arbella would be honored by that to be so close to her. But I think Arbella would agree that Catherine is still just that one step above her. That is Lady Arbella Stewart, which is a wild ride as forever on this show. And then I have a recommendation for you. So there's a new podcast that just, just started that's called Telling Our Twisted History. It's on CBC Podcasts. So the description of it is there's just been at the time of recording this i think two maybe three episodes of it and so it's the description is words connect us words hurt us indigenous histories have been twisted by centuries of colonization this show brings us together to decolonize our minds one word one concept one story at a time it's thus far i really enjoyed the two episodes i've listened to and i think in this era at the time i'm recording this there's a lot of recognition co- going towards the truly horrific things that have happened to indigenous people, specifically in Canada, but in North America, all over the place. And this is, I love this as a way to to learn these stories from indigenous people. And also, when I was listening to this podcast and preparing this podcast that I'm doing, I was just thinking, well, this is all happening simultaneously, like Jamestown like the first major British settlement in North America. That was James from this story, like Arbella's steward, Arbella's cousin, James. So like all this was happening to her. Meanwhile, there's all this other stuff. Like meanwhile, the colonization stuff was happening. Like just, it's, it's a lot. Anyway, very good podcast. Super recommended. Telling our twisted history. And then... If you want to keep up with me in this podcast, these URLs are slightly different than sometimes, but I usually put them in the show notes too, so you can find them, but these are just updated, updated URLs. So, um, all the books that I've mentioned in this podcast, and again, the, um, Sarah, Sarah Gristwood, Sarah Gristwood's book, Arbella, England's Lost Queen. Super good. I'm really happy that Arbella gets a full length biography that's done really, um, sensitively, very respectfully but also just like so much dramatic stuff happens in it. Anyway, so all the books I've recommended are listed on my page at bookshop.org slash shop slash vulgar history. 
Then the merch we have is at, this is a new address, but again, I'll put the link in there. So vulgarhistory.creator-spring.com because it used to be Teespring and now it's just called Spring. And then also I have my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Writer. And so that's where if you want to get some bonus episodes, that's where I put those. So every month I do an extra, what I call a mini episode, which is, I think in general they're shorter than these ones, but some of them are as long as these ones. So I do these, so this asshole episodes, just digging into some of the like awful shitty men from the stories. I've done one about James, Arabella's cousin James. I've done one about um, Captain John Smith well-known from the Pocahontas story. So that's also happening at this same era. Anyway, so if you support me there, that is the perk that you get. And also the money from there goes towards me being able to do more seasons of this podcast, which I really want to do. And money helps with that. So I also have a website, anfosterwriter.com. You can find us on Instagram, Vulgar History Pod, on Twitter at Vulgar History. And my name is Anna Foster. And... You know, just like channeling Arbella, just like put on like a disguise, but I'll know it's you because you'll have your mask on and your tits out. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.